You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Hello, good morning church. My name is Sally. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are ill, weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you, come, when, we, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. These are the true words of the living God. And thanks to you, Sally, for uh, reading that so well for us. Well, great to see you all, which I repeat, because it really is great to uh, see you all. Uh, we are continuing our series. This is part four of four of the Gospel Made Alive, the Gospel Made Alive series. And uh, sermon number one, uh, for those of you who were awake, was uh, the Gospel Made Alive in the Church. It was a joke. Uh, Sermon number two was the gospel made alive in baptism. Sermon number three was the gospel made alive in communion. That was part one. And today, the fourth part, we're looking at uh, the second half of the chapter, the, uh, chapter 11 that we looked at last week. So the gospel made alive in communion, part two. So that is what we have in store today. But uh, before we get to the text, I want to tell you a quick story to my shame. Now... I uh, used to play cricket. I used to be in the Law Society cricket team. Now, I know cricket's not a big thing in Singapore. So what you need to know for the purpose of this story is that you need a judge or an umpire in cricket. You have one major judge and you have a kind of a subordinate or a a minor or a junior judge. Now, on this particular day, I uh, went out to bat. You bat in cricket. And it was quite early on and I was out. So said the subordinate judge, the umpire. But it turns out that uh, there was some logistical problem, and there weren't enough people to umpire. So the captain of the opposition asked his 12-year-old son to be the judge, the umpire. So now, I need you to believe me here. Loyal friends would. I was not out, okay? The umpire, who was 12 years old, got it wrong. He didn't know the rules. So what I did, to my shame, I argued back. I said, I can't be out. This is completely wrong. You don't know the rules. Now, another unwritten law in cricket is you never, ever, ever question the umpire. Okay, this was drilled into me from a young age. Whatever the umpire says is correct. You just accept it, and then if he says you're out, off you go. But for some reason, I was just overcome by justice, and I refused to go. Well, this has caused chaos, because then they started arguing with me, and I started arguing back. And then finally, the father of this 12-year-old, who was the captain of the other team, came over and said, no, actually... It's true, you're not out. 
Hallelujah. Victory to me, right? Well, things just went from bad to worse because following that, I played majestically. I was smacking that ball to all parts. And the better I played, the more they grumbled. You should be out. And I was like, dude, go and fetch the ball in the other field. And so it carried on. But then it went from even worse because when it came their turn to bat, out came the father, the captain. And guess what happened? True story. His son gave him out. And you know what he did? He refused to go out. He said, I'm not out. This is the most bizarre cricket match I've ever played. Now, the moral of the story is judgment is good. You can't live in a world where there are no laws, and if there are laws, they are poorly administrated, or the judges don't know what they're doing. The world just can't exist like that. But the message of Christianity actually has judgment at the heart of it. And the message of Christianity is that actually God is the perfect judge. He is the one, as it were, who makes the rules, who has the laws of the universe. But our sin means we've sinned against Him and broken His laws and wronged Him. But He is all-knowing. He has perfect knowledge and perfect judgment. And He, in His perfect judgment, is perfectly entitled to judge us. And the sin that we have committed is so heinous and so wrongful that it justly deserves us to be sent to hell to everlasting destruction and torment. That is the message of Christianity. But Jesus Christ has come down. God himself came in flesh so that the perfect justice of God could be visited on Jesus so that your sins can be put onto Jesus, so that the justice of the perfect judge of the universe can be visited and exacted onto the body of Jesus so that your sins can be paid for. Then, because Jesus Christ lived a perfect and a righteous life, was given resurrection life and was risen from the dead by who? By the perfect judge of the universe to declare that there was no sin or fault in Christ, even though he had borne the sin of the world. And if you put yourself into Christ or receive the invitation of Christ to be in him, you can have your sins dealt with in his body, and you can have your own body, after you die, be given eternal life, resurrected life in his body. Christianity depends on there being a judge who is true and who's right. None of us want to live in a world of warped justice. And this is the big message of communion. Because when we enjoy and partake of communion, what we are remembering is that in justice, the body of Jesus was broken for you and for me. His blood was spilled for you and for me, so that the judge of all the earth can declare you innocent, can justify you, and can include you into him and give you eternal life in him. And communion is the remembrance of that. And so I want to make two points today about the gospel being made visible in communion. And point number one is this, is approach communion rightly. Approach communion rightly. Point number two is this, judge or be judged. Judge or be judged. Point number one, approach communion rightly. And point number two is judge or be judged. So, let's look at the first verse. 
which is in verse 27, and it says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And uh, for the benefit of those who missed last week's sermon, which was just looking at the verses immediately above, in the context of what an unworthy manner is, was this. The people in that church, some were getting drunk at communion, some were dividing over wealth lines, rich and poor, some were dividing over spiritual class lines, some were rushing ahead, some weren't waiting. Point being, there was radical division in the church. The context is, what is an unworthy manner of taking communion? And the answer we're given is, if you are doing communion, or if you are doing church, or coming on a Sunday, as it were, for our purposes, in a way that is divisive, or causing division, then you are taking communion in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner. Division in the body is taken enormously seriously in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible. Because if you take it in an unworthy manner, the verse goes on to say this, you will be guilty. You see, it's a language of judgment. It's the language of a judge. If you come to the body and you take communion in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty. And you're going to be guilty against the body and blood of Jesus. Can you think of a higher thing to be guilty against? If you take communion in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty against the body and the blood of Jesus. So this is a very serious tone. It's a very serious thing that he's saying. So we'd better be very sure we know what an unworthy manner is. And an unworthy manner is uh, when you're coming with war in your heart or division against someone else in the body. This is the pitch or the tone that he is dealing with today. Now, I want to be very clear that an unworthy manner is when you have division or you're at war or you're at loggerheads with someone else in the body. What it doesn't mean is that you have to come worthy. All of us come as unworthy people to Jesus when we take communion. All of us come as sinners. All of us come as those who need Him to save us. The invitation is for us to come. But we can't come in a manner which is unworthy, in a manner where we are wronging each other or we are causing division against one another. Those are two separate things. And uh, this should give us pause to soberly and somberly evaluate our own hearts as we come before the Lord's table on a Sunday. An unworthy manner, maybe to make it a little bit more clear, is if you're coming thinking you are perfect, thinking you, well, at least disregarding the damage that you might be doing in relationships in the body. Because when Jesus Christ died for you, when his body was broken for you, and when you were included into his body, other people were also included into his body. 
When I find myself in Christ to have all my sins wiped out, I'm unworthy. He makes me worthy. I can approach his table based on that. But what I find is when I'm in Christ is you too are in Christ. There are other people in Christ. But for me to have some kind of disrepair or damage or division against you is going to be at complete inconsistency with the unity that I have with Christ. And the unity that Christ has with you should then be mirrored by you and I having unity too. So he's saying, when you come to communion, don't come in a way that's divisive or where there's war or animosity between you. Verse 28, he moves on and he says, let a person examine himself then. So how do you come to the communion table? Well, the first step, he says, is in the future when you're coming to the communion table, first examine yourself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. As we approach the communion table, we don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. We don't want to be guilty against the body and the blood of Jesus. We, we want to be harmonious in our midst. So therefore, we need to examine ourselves before we partake. Just to set you all free. When we come feeling unworthy, that's the invitation for us to come to Jesus and to remember that he has died for us and set us free. That's the gospel being made visible, okay? But when we need to examine ourselves, it doesn't mean we necessarily, if you are having an argument with someone in the church, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to have that argument entirely reconciled before you then take communion at about 10.55 or whatever time we have it, right? I think the attitude is that in our hearts, we must be willing and able and soft and forgiving and loving to others in our souls, in our spirits. And if we are made aware in the course of examination that, oh, actually, I'm out of line. Let's say Eugene and I are having an argument. And then I realize, coming to communion, I'm out of line with Eugene. I examine myself. In my spirit, I can go, Lord, I want to come in a worthy manner. Forgive me. Help me to repair with Eugene. I commit myself to that, but I need to come to you to get to the, resor to get the resources to help me then make right with Eugene. I commit myself to that. I think that's all part of examining ourselves. And Jesus would want you to come to the table. Because when you come to him at communion, you remember that he loves you, that he died for you, that you are unworthy, but his body was broken for you, that he's forgiven you. And when I receive that weight of forgiveness from Jesus, it's then easy for me to take that same forgiveness and then apply it in my friendship with Eugene. But it shouldn't preclude me from coming to the table. So it's a bit nuanced. It's a difficult thing to explain. I hope I've done a good job with that. Okay, let's think about examining ourselves. Here's the problem with examining ourselves, and if we can have this slide, this quote. The thing about examining yourself is you're going to realize that there's a whole lot of junk inside you. Junk you don't want to look at. Junk you don't want to acknowledge. I like to think I'm a great guy, but in my disagreement with Eugene, for example, we're not having a disagreement, by the way, we just, this is just an example. I then, actually, gosh, I've treated him really badly. There's a whole lot of dirt in me. I don't want to see that. It's easy to come to communion and just pretend I'm perfect and that I, you know, I'm kind of doing okay. But when I examine myself, I've got to run the risk of looking at my own unholiness inside of me. Please do that. 
Go there. Don't be afraid of yourself. Go and see the dirt and the junk inside you so that you can then bring it to Jesus. And you can be forgiven and you can find His grace and you can start walking in the light again. From there, you're empowered to live a great life with good relationships, making repair when rupture comes about. Okay, but let's look at the quote that I promised you. This is from uh, Marion Woodman, and she writes this. We can hardly bear to look at our shadow. Go into the basement, the attic, the refuse bin. Find an animal who has not been fed or watered. It is you. This neglected, exiled animal, hungry for attention, is part of yourself. You see, the thing is, when you don't want to look at your junk, you divide yourself, and you become a disintegrated person. And then you bring just the best part of yourself to Jesus, but you've divided yourself. No, no, when we go to communion, we examine ourselves. We go into the basement, we go into the bin, and we go, oh, that's me. Gosh, there's a lot of junk down there. But you know what? Jesus invites that junk to his communion table to love you and to forgive you and to remind you that you're in him. From there, you're empowered to live a glorious life. Don't be afraid of yourself. Jesus, Jesus already knows, by the way. He already knows. So be honest with yourself as you bring yourself to the communion table. We'll be saying a bit more about that in a moment. Okay, verse uh, 28, carrying on. Let a person examine himself then, and so then you can eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone, listen to this, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So if you come to communion, but you don't discern the body, you don't discern some of the damage you've done in the body, as it were. We don't discern some of the divisions that you may or may not be causing. If you don't discern that, if you don't distinguish it or judge it or look at it or recognize it, it's all captured in that word discern. Then it says you're going to be, and this is an exact quote, eating and drinking judgment on yourself. So let's think about this word discern. Now, imagine you're on holiday in Italy, and you are an expert at art. You're a world-class expert on art, and you see a little Italian gentleman behind the counter selling curios, leaning tower of pizza, replicas, and he's got a stack of original Rembrandts, which he is using as wrapping papers people buy the curios. So you say to him, ah, excuse me, sir, uh, what's your best price for 100 curios? And uh, don't worry about wrapping it. I'll do it myself if you just give me a stack that's discernment. You see the thing for what it is. You recognize. When other people are devaluing it, you recognize, oh, this is intrinsic value here. This is so valuable and worthwhile. That's how we come to the communion table. We look in the body and we see Rembrandt masterpieces in all of ourselves because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And together we are the masterpiece in Christ. But if we are not going to discern and recognize Jesus Christ, His wonder and His holiness and His purity and His salvation and His unity in you and you and you, and we're going to dismiss that and have first class and second class Christians and separate ourselves along whatever lines or have arguments or disagreements or war or come with a, a disrespectful approach in some way. We're not discerning the beauty and the masterpiece which is in the church, which is the body. If you do that, he says, you're going to be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. 
You see, judgment is core to Christianity. So let me try and explain what this judgment actually is. Verse 30, he goes on to say, because there's division, because you're not examining yourself, because you are causing ruptures and not repairing, because you're coming with a proud attitude to the communion table, because you're not discerning the body, seeing the body as a masterpiece, God is judging you, he's saying. This has already happened. It's, a, it's fact. It's already happened. And this judgment, he goes on to say, is three things. Weakness, illness, and death. It's a euphemism, fallen asleep. It means people have died. In the church at Corinth, people were taking communion lightly, taking division in the body lightly, and God was actually judging these folks. And some of them, under the sentence of God's judgment, this is Christians, were then battling with their health, feeling powerless in certain ways, and some were even having their lives ended. It's that serious. It's God's way of communicating to us, my dear friends and family, that He takes unity incredibly seriously. Because unity with Him is the be-all and end-all of Christianity. In Christ, we are unified with Him. It just goes to follow that we should have harmony and unity with each other. And when there are ruptures, we deal with it in a gracious, godly, loving way. To ignore that and then to come to Jesus as if we're perfect, as if it's all good. Denying the junk in our lives, the unholiness in our lives, the unholiness in our relationships. God takes seriously and there is judgment. There is judgment. Okay, that's the end of point number one. Point number two is this. Judge will be judged. The first point was approach communion rightly. And you approach communion rightly by... Being aware of your own flaws, being aware of the body, discerning it, coming humbly to Jesus to get his full release and grace and a reminder of who you are in Christ, knowing that in judgment he's already paid for all your sin, but then loving and respecting the body, building into relationships. That's how you do it rightly. If you don't, there's judgment. So this is this point number two, which is judge or be judged, because in verse 31 it says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I'll repeat that. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So here's the status quo. He's coming and he's saying, guys, you are totally messing up communion. There's division, there's disharmony, there's... There's uh, bad relationships going on. You're coming lightly to the Lord's table. You're not discerning the body. Some people, as a result, God is bringing judgment. Some have even died as a result. Some are weak. Some are sick. So in the future, I want you to do it like this. I want you to examine yourselves and, and, and be honest about who you are and bring your whole self to Jesus so that your whole self can, can find His love and His grace. And then some in the congregation obviously would have said, okay, luckily I'm not yet sick, I'm not yet weak, and I'm not yet dead. Uh, but I was one of the naughty people in the past who did communion badly. Like, what advice do you have for me? Okay? What advice do you have for me? I feel like I've done this badly in the past. Can you help me? 
Paul. And his answer is, I'll read it again, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. He's saying, God is gracious to you. God is giving you this window where you can still make right with him. There's an amnesty window. Yes, you have, church in Corinth, messed it up in the past. It hasn't gone well for some. Some did receive some judgment from God. But for you, my advice is this. I want you to judge yourselves truly. Judge yourselves truly. So then that becomes the question, well, how do I judge myself truly? And how you judge yourself truly is a lot like examining yourself. You bring your whole self before God and you say, Lord, this is me. This is Perch. I've messed it up in the past. I'm ashamed. There's some things I don't want to show you. But I'm bringing all of me to you, Lord. I want you to see. I know you see. I want to acknowledge. I want to judge myself and say, God, there's some, that, some things that are good about me, but there's some stuff which is not so good about me. I'm bringing all of that to you now. I am judging it. I am judging it. And the reason I've got the confidence to bring it to you, Jesus, is because I know you love me. I know you will forgive me if I bring my sin and my dirt and my garbage before you. If I bring my broken relationships before you, I know you will forgive me. It's not easy for me to bring this stuff into the light. The way I've been treating my brothers and sisters at ECP the last couple of weeks of communion. But Lord, there's this window where you've been gracious to me. So I want to bring myself fully to you. I want, I want, I'm judging it, Lord, in your presence, because I know you are gracious to me, so that you then don't have to judge me as a result. This is the kind of church that I would love us to be, where we are honest with Jesus about who we are. And as appropriate, we're honest with each other about who we are. But if you've never tasted the full grace of Jesus, that He loves you, He's honest about your bad things, but He's saved you and forgiven you, and He's taking with you into eternity. If that big idea hasn't dropped, you're going to find it very hard to be not only honest with Him, but honest with other people. And communion is one of those checkpoints in the road where we get to be honest about ourselves. It's a privilege to judge ourselves because we get to taste once again the fresh grace and love and kindness of Jesus Christ who was judged and broken for you that you could spend all eternity with Him and enjoy His infinite, eternal, lifelong blessing and love and goodwill and favor. So what I'd like to do now is uh, read you a three-minute quote. So get a neck pillow out, some popcorn, Make yourself comfortable, because I'm going to read for three minutes. Uh, you don't have to take it all in, but you'll just get a sweep of what I'm saying. And I think there's some great ideas about judging ourselves, about not being afraid of our shame, the things we want to hide, and bringing it all before the Lord because of what Jesus has done, and in a vulnerable way, offering our worst bits to Him that He can love them and heal them. Okay, so three minutes coming up. You ready? Uh, and this is written out of a book by a man called Kurt Thompson called The Soul of Shame. 
and I've just taken sorted bits. I've kind of summarized it all into one big blob here for three minutes. This is what he writes. The mind flourishes when in relationships of connection. Humans experience no greater distress than when in relationships of abandonment. With shame, I sense that something is deeply wrong with me. And because of this profound flaw, you will eventually want nothing to do with me, and then you will leave. Paradoxically then, shame anticipates abandonment while simultaneously initiating movement away by leaving other people. Hiding is a natural response to shame. We hide from everyone, not least hiding from being ourselves. Hiding from the different parts of me is just the beginning. All other secrecy is merely an extension of that. We hide from family members. We hide from those sitting next to us in the church pew. We hide from our spouse. All the hiding I do from others begins with the smoke and mirrors I employ within my own mind. There are multiple parts of myself that I don't want to know. It would be too shaming. For I know the parts of me that I don't like, and that I presume that God does not like either. They include my judging, lying, stealing, gluttonous, lusting, adulterous, arrogant, self, just to name a few. We cannot expect to know God fully if we are not willing to know ourselves, for one depends on the other. As the veterans of Alcoholics Anonymous report, we are only as sick as the secrets we keep. We are only as sick as the secrets we keep. My problem is that I do not feel adequate to respond to it. I perceive that I do not have what it takes to tolerate what I feel. I'm not just sad or angry. These feelings rest on the thought that I am alone with what I feel, and no one is coming to my aid. In our minds, to be vulnerable is to sense the potential for danger, not necessarily danger of physical annihilation, but the danger of the terrifying prospect of relational disintegration. To be vulnerable is to recognize that we are at the mercy of those whose intentions we cannot guarantee and who can abandon us. However, this sense of vulnerability, which we interpret as the sign of our greatest weakness, the greatest risk to our survival, when reframed in terms of being known by God, is in fact the key for our healing. To be known is necessarily to be vulnerable, to open ourselves to God's love. It is to be asked questions, to be observed, to be seen. Those parts of us that feel most broken and that we keep most hidden are the parts that most desperately need to be known by God. And so is to be loved and healed. These are the parts that contain our shame. Listen to this. For only in those instances when our shamed parts are known do they stand a chance of being redeemed? Absolute joy must eventually include my being completely known. Vulnerability is the state we must pass through in order to deepen our connection with God. Given our human condition, there is no other way. And so the reason why most people don't want to judge themselves is because they're scared of God. They don't want to bring their full self, their true self, with all their shame before God. It's too vulnerable. What if God rejects me? And of course, we do it with each other too, but we're just focusing on God for now. But the message of communion 
So God will never reject you if you're in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants you. But he wants you to come openly with all of your garbage, with all of your sin. Because he wants to remind you of his great love for you. But if you come pretending it's not there, if you don't judge yourself, then in a world of perfect order, then he will judge. And the judgment, by the way, is not to kick you out the family. The judgment is just to say, my son, my child, what you're doing here is not right. You are hurting other people in the body. I don't like that. That's the purpose of that judgment. It's not to kick you out the family. You're still in the family. You're in Christ. You're in him. He'll never reject you. He's going to hold you. But he will take you to task if you're messing about in the body and not repairing the ruptures that are there. And communion is the time when you examine yourself and when you think about these things and you bring your whole self to him to get his grace to heal these things. But if you don't, if you don't have the courage to believe Jesus and take him on his words, then you are going to be in some state of coming dishonestly to him. And that's when his, if you don't judge yourself, then he will judge you. He goes on to say this. Uh, we must end soon. He goes on to say in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, so look, if you don't judge yourself truly, then God judges you, right? And what does this judgment look like? Well, as I was saying just now, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Wow, it's so gracious. When he judges you, it's discipline. And that word discipline implies a word of instruction or education or teaching or helping a young child know its way or you forgot to do your homework. It's used in those kind of contexts. It's discipline. It's not condemnation with the world, amazing, but it's a father. A father not kicking the child out the family, but a father saying, hey, you are fighting with your siblings here. The father needs to step in. But if the sibling comes to the father and communion says, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm hurting other people. I'm bringing this to you. I need your grace. I need your help. I'm committing myself before I get to communion to love this body, to discern this body, to recognize the masterpiece in this other person that I'm hurting or divided with. That's the manner that we come to communion with Jesus' arms open wide to say, I can help you. I know you're having a rift or a fight with this person. I can help you. Come and get love from me. Don't be divided from me. Get mercy and grace from me. And communion is the reminder of that so that we can then do it to each other. Uh, just for completion, let's read the last couple of verses. So then, my brothers, verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. And in the context, that was what was causing division. They weren't waiting. They were disregarding each other. They were damaging each other. There was disharmony. So that's just shorthand for, you guys are doing this in an unworthy manner. Don't do that. Just be all on the same page in the future. Verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So when we come for communion, there is an opportunity for God to discipline us if we have got stuff wrong. But there's also the chance for us to come humbly and honestly and to receive this, this bolt, this jolt of the finest grace from the king of the universe who died for you based on what Jesus has done to make you worthy, to make you worthy. So don't do this in an unworthy manner. Okay, let's leave it there.
We're going to take communion now. And I would love us just to pause. Just to pause. And to try and put into effect some of these truths. And as we, uh, maybe we, yeah, thanks, Ashing. Maybe you can just play in the, in the background for us. As we approach the communion table, based on what we've read today and heard, let's examine our hearts. Where's the, un yeah, why don't you uh, close your eyes for a moment. Where's their unholiness in you? Where is their uh, disharmony in the body? Why don't you examine yourself today? Don't leave any part of yourself outside. Don't divide yourself. Bring your whole being before our master, for the captain of our souls, for the lover of our souls. Examine yourself. Be honest. He already knows. He already knows. He knows you're weak. He knows you struggle. He knows when there's injustice committed against you. He knows what the disrepair, the pain, the brokenness in our relationships. He knows, he knows, he knows. So just be honest about it and bring it all before him today. Won't you examine yourself, your life? In what ways are you not representing him? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's calling you. He's saying, come, come, come to my table. My body was broken for you. My blood was spilled for you. I'm the judge of all the earth. And I judge you righteous in my sight. Even though you sin, bring these sins before me. They've been dealt with on the cross. to fill you with my love my everlasting kindness I want it to overflow so that you can give it out to the people who are hurting you to the people you have hurt everything you need is at my communion table why don't you just examine your life today there are things you've been struggling with for many years would you just lay it before him today? Don't hide. Don't fear being vulnerable with the king of the universe. When you bring it before him, he can redeem. He can help. I just feel like there's such a deep work going on in this room today. The Holy Spirit just being so gracious and tender with sore places and sore hearts. He loves you. He loves you. He'll never reject you if you come and be honest. Never, never, never. He wants you to feel safe.
Lord, for those in pain, for those hurting, pray you'd wrap your arms around them. For those who've had the courage to bring their whole self before you, would you bless them? Would you uplift them in this moment? He wants you to approach him at the communion table. If you have a communion pack, you can open it now in a prayerful way. For those who are not in Christ, those who are not in the kingdom, those who have not repented of their sins and turned to him, had their sins dealt with on the cross and at the resurrection, then communion is not for you. That's not what you need. What you need is Jesus himself. He wants to forgive you and save you. But for the Christians among us, this is a reminder that Jesus has died for you, that he loves you, that he is committed to you. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's remember the broken body of Jesus given to you. Do it in remembrance of him now. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Won't you remember the blood of Jesus given to you to make you new and alive? You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.